Welcome back to the Ice Coffee Hour. My name is Ryan Pineda, and the podcast has made three hundred and thirty-six thousand dollars. Wow! Great guess. It's two hundred and two thousand one hundred and twelve dollars. Close. Very close. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for making it on, man. Yeah, I'm we appreciate happy to be it. Back. It's been a while. Yeah, I know. We got the real estate expert here. Yeah. Buying up a lot of real estate this year. You know, I, I think I said it the last two iced coffee hours that everyone needs to keep buying, and they would have did pretty good. How mm-hmm. much have you bought this year so far? Ah, uh, this year, I think we've been buying around 10 a month, so we're buying a lot. And, and that's, that's just flips. Yeah. That's all in Las Vegas as well. Yeah, those are flips, and then obviously we're buying the apartments now, which we'll talk about, so it's going good. Wow. Well, before we go into the state of the real estate market, what you're doing, what you're buying, and if there are any good deals out there, we, I got to ask you, every single shot, uh, we set up the camera here, you look chiseled. Yeah. How do you how do you do this? What's your secret, man? Oh, like, man, how, do you do Have you done like Botox or anything like that? Or do you just, like, how, what's the secret? No, dude. You know, it's funny. People ask me, they're like, do you have um, fake teeth? Do you do Botox? And like, do you do the hair restoration? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I've haven't done any of that. The only thing I've ever done is um, I have two fake teeth right here and now people will know about it, but they're kind of discolored because they're, they're fake and they can't be colored, but um, no, no Botox or why? anything. Why, why two Ye- teeth on the side? Uh, when I was younger, I had braces and all that stuff. And then when they removed them, like these two teeth were like really tiny, just super small. And so mm-hmm. they had to fill them in. They put like the fake caps on them or something. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, as I got older, they're like, you can do veneers now. And so, yeah, two fake veneers just because they were small teeth. Do you get like 11 hours of sleep every night because you have no bags, no wrinkles? It, you just look pristine. Well, you know, I don't edit my own videos. I think editing is what kills all these creators, dude. Really? Editing's a lot of work, man. You guys are up late. That's true. I, but no, I, I don't know. I go to bed at like 11, wake up at 530. You wear sunscreen, moisturize. How can we emulate this, man? I know, I know. I Graham, it's just, dude, yeah. I tell people this all the time. It's just being Asian, dude. Asians look younger and um, they have better skin. It's just mm-hmm. what it is. I've been, I've been moisturizing now I've, for like three months. Every single day, morning and night, I've been putting on the moisturizer on my face to help with wrinkles. Yeah, I like yeah. that um, CeraVe. Shout out to them. They've got like a moisturizing cream, mm-hmm. so I like that. That keeps it nice. I'll try it. And <laughs> you, uh, you walked in here. What, what Jack? Are you laughing? I'm I'll trying to like, try it. So I, you I walked seen, in. <laughs> I see myself in, in the in the podcast. I know. And me I just, too, man. I look terrible. I'm 23. <laughs> I look like I'm 45. <laughs> man. Anyway, so this watch. You you walk in, rocking this watch. It's yeah. a AP Royal Oak, and, and it's massive. Yeah. So, offshore. Yep, so I bought this. Oh, wait, wait. Alex is supposed to guess how much you bought that for. Oh, okay. Alex, uh, what do you Yeah, guess? so uh, guys, my camera is out here. But uh, my guess is that that watch costs approximately uh, $17,500. <laughs> Alex, come I'm on. guessing I'm guessing eighty five. No. My guess is uh, 35 because you got a deal and you could buy it at MSRP. I wish. So I bought this. I think I did a YouTube video maybe seven eight months ago mm-hmm. um i've been looking for this specific watch for over a year i think i even showed you it graham like you were the first person back in 2020 to be like you should treat yourself with a watch i was like i'm never gonna buy a watch i don't need them mm-hmm. and you're like no it's a good investment it's a way to 
hold your money and stuff. I was like, all right, I'm going to buy a watch. And so <laughs> sounds like something I would say. But Jack's wearing a Samara. I, I, t- I had to talk him into yep. buying this. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it's, talked and me it's like it. almost double what, what Jack got it for. So. Yep. So that's the other watch I have is the exact same one as Jack. So I go to this place called Happy Jeweler. Um, and he's, he does a lot of athletes and stuff like that out in California. And he just so happened to get this watch in stock. And I had texted him for months. I was like, if you ever see this exact watch, let me know. I love black and blue. And um, he says, I got it in stock. You know, I'm going to get you it, but it's above MSRP. And at the time, you know, MSRP on these was like 35000 mm-hmm. And if you went on eBay or something, they were selling for Fifty to fifty-five thousand, and so I just started thinking about. It. I'm like, oh, man, if I'm ever going to buy a watch, I'm not going to get an MSRP. They won't even sell it to me. AP won't sell you a watch like this. Mm. And so I said, okay, like, what can we do? And he's like, I'm actually going to give it to you below cost of what I have it at. He's like, just because I know you're going to make content, it's going to help out, and I want to build a relationship with you. You're going to refer me a bunch of clients, which I have. Mm. You know, now I'm talking about it on this podcast, right? Um, so I ended up getting it from him for like forty-two thousand. Um, and I was looking at it on eBay the other day and I think it was like worth 60 to 70 now. So it's crazy. Yeah. The watch market is ridiculous right now. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. At all. So I think eventually Rolex prices are beginning to come down, believe it or not. They're finally got to that point where people are starting to realize maybe it's not worth triple over. (laughs) I mean, it's still ridiculously expensive, but it's come down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, dude, I mean. Real estate's one thing that that's gone crazy, but the luxury cars and watches and all this stuff, you're like, I don't get it. But mm-hmm. like my buddy flipped a, a Lambo for like 50K the other day. I'm like, what's going on here? He drove it for six months. Yeah. So what crazy times, what compels you to spend $45,000 on a watch? Um, Graham, Graham told me to do it, but that's a good reason <laughs> to do that. Yeah. And I was, I was right. Yeah, he was right. Yeah. yeah, you guys can go back to that first episode. He was like, buy it. And I was mm-hmm. like, dude, if like the cheapest millionaire ever tells me to buy a luxury watch, then I have no excuse. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, dude. I just I've never bought like a luxury item like this. So I wanted to do it. And have you found any value outside of like the 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 monetary value of the watch? Like, for example, like marketing and stuff like that. Networking. Um, so actually, that YouTube video I did, um, it did really well. For me anyways, but um, I did a bunch of TikToks and reels and stuff from that video. We cut it up and it was actually my highest performing TikTok ever. It got 9 million views. Wow. So, I mean, no I'm way. sure it probably led to something that yeah. got me more than 45,000. Wow. That's incredible. Let's talk about how you got your start for people that are not familiar with you. Started in baseball. Could you tell us about that and then how you transitioned that to uh, working as a real estate agent to then investing in real estate? Yeah. So growing up, I never wanted to get into real estate. Um, I wanted to just play pro baseball. That was it. Just played little league. Then, you know, high school got division one scholarship, became an all American. Then, you know, in 2010, I got drafted by the Oakland A's. So that was me like living my dream, doing what I wanted to do. But, um, in the minor leagues, you make 1200 bucks a month. People don't really know that, but you're like scraping by for six months. That's all you're making. You sound like you can go get another job. And so in the off seasons, I had to go work and and make money somehow. And so at that time I was like, well, I can do this realtor thing because I I don't need to like go get a job and then nobody's going to hire me because I'm going to go leave six months from now. So I just became a realtor and I didn't realize like that was the hardest time ever to be a realtor because prices were so cheap that even if you sold something, um, you didn't make much. 
Um, people were dealing with foreclosures and bankruptcies and all this stuff. So nobody could buy. And um, there was so much inventory on the market that it just was really hard to sell something because people were like, oh, well, I can go buy 8 million other things. Like, why why this one? The market's going to keep going down. I can get a deal. And um, it was a tough time. And I, I sold some homes, definitely wasn't that successful at it. Um, and after a couple of years, I just kind of gave it up. I was like, mm. dude, this is not for me. Um, I'm going to go figure other stuff out. And so I started doing other side hustles. Um, I was a substitute teacher for a little bit. And then I started doing what's now kind of famous with couch flipping. Um, you know, it was just this thing. I just was like, man, I bet you I could go flip this couch and make some good money. And it was right. Like I started making, you know, 8,000 a month at my best levels, um, flipping couches. And I was like, hmm. this is great. But eventually I got burnt out by that too. Cause that wasn't really fulfilling. And we kind of hit the cap of buying every couch in Las Vegas. And I said, dude, what am I going to do? Well, in 2015, um, my wife and I are on our one year anniversary. Um, we had saved up $10,000 from couch flipping and stuff. And, um, eventually I was just like praying one day. I'm like, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Is it like baseball? Is it, you know, couch flipping? I don't think it's real estate. I suck at that. Um, and I just remember him showing me like this commercial for flipping houses. And it was like one of those scammy commercials. Uh, you know, you could flip houses today with no money, no credit, all this stuff. And I'd been a realtor for five years and I'm like, yeah. I would have heard about this by now. There's no way that you can do this. And that's a scam. Well, it led me down the path of finding bigger pockets, which kind of influenced me. And I was like, Oh, there is ways to do this. You could wholesale, you could raise private money, you could get hard money loans. And so, um, I ended up, uh, going and finding my first deal after that. I got a hard money loan. Um, I maxed out all my credit cards to fund the down payment on that hard money loan. And thankfully, it worked out. How do, uh, I'm curious, how do they do, how are you maxing out credit lines as a down payment? Yeah. Are you just doing a cash out of that? Like uh, like taking out the, the, the cash from the credit cards and paying that like high fee? How are you doing that? Yeah, so <laughs> what happened was, I actually got credit lines for me and my wife. So we signed up for those 0% credit cards, mm -hmm. you know, and it was like 18 months, 0%. And they had like these balance transfers where they would send you a check. And so mm. we ended up doing the balance transfer for a check. And um, that's how I got 50 grand wow. in that. And 50 grand just from credit cards alone? Yeah. Yep. And like hard money lenders, people, people don't realize this. They're not like normal conventional or FHA lenders where they're looking at your debt to income ratios and all that stuff. Like all they really care about is the deal itself. And like, do you have the down payment? And so if you got a good enough deal, they'll fund it. And so that's what happened. Like, um, I got a good deal and he's like, all right, you need this amount of money to fund it. Like you're going to do it. And I was like, yeah. And so I got the money, maxed out the cards and was off to the races. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Upstart. Graham, I just bought a premium subscription to every single dating app, and I don't have any matches now, and now I have a ton of high-interest credit card debt. I don't know what to do. <sighs> just calm down. You could use Upstart. Upstart offers personal loans that could help pay down high-interest credit card debt, all online with simple and easy-to-understand payment terms. Once you get your loan, Upstart lets you pay it back in one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Upstart has already helped 1.8 million people pay off credit cards, consolidate high-interest debt, or fund personal expenses. Bad credit? 
Don't worry. Upstart knows you're more than just a credit score and looks at other factors like income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application to find you a smarter rate for your loan. You could check your rate in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000 without impacting your credit score. You could even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So don't wait and check your rate today when you go to upstart.com slash iced coffee. That's upstart.com slash iced coffee down below in the description so they know we sent you. Once again, upstart.com slash iced coffee. Thank you so much, Upstart and back to the back podcast. To the Did you ever pay interest on those credit cards or like what about the the rates on the hard money loan as well? I'm, I'm wondering just like the actual finances of this deal itself. Yeah, so I mean the hard money rates were 12% and four points. So very expensive today, but back then, you know, eight years ago going to seven, eight years ago wasn't, I was like, whatever, dude, it's the cost mm. of doing business. Like I don't mm. care. Um, so I did that. I mean, and the credit card was 0% for 18 months. So it wasn't, I so had to pay, ended a, up. yeah, I had to pay a fee of like 3% to borrow mm-hmm. the money, but that was nothing. Once again, a cost of doing business. How much you make in that first deal? That first deal made 25 grand. Profit. Profit. So after you paid After the hard up, money yeah. lender. Oh, wow. Yeah. So from there, I was like, mm-hmm. man, this is, this is it. This is the way to go. And so I did um, five deals that first year, then 20 the next year. 50 the year after that, and then 150, um, in year four. And then I've been doing a hundred ever since. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of businesses spread off from that. And, you know, now we're doing the apartments and education and everything else. And in order to flip houses that successful, you have to have a lot of knowledge. And I always wonder, because like, I know a decent about, about real estate and how you can add value Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But it seems like I'm surrounded by people that just have like so much knowledge on that type of stuff. Where did you learn that stuff? I actually did starting out was I, I just was on bigger pockets. I was listening to a podcast like three times a day while I was delivering couches. I was literally just learning the game nonstop. And so I remember I watched every bigger pockets episode, um, for probably the first 150 episodes. I just binged Mm. them and that gave me the foundation of like, okay, I get this. And it also like gave me confidence to hear all these other people's stories who, you know, were in the same boat I was in. I was like, Oh, if these guys could do it, I can do it. And so, you know, I learned a lot doing that. Um, I started attending local meetups. I started, you know, networking with these other guys and, you know, truthfully, I didn't do it the way that I would do it now. I just kind of like winged it and just trial by error. But now, I mean, there's so many resources with YouTube, with coaching programs, with like so many more transparent ways versus back then, you know, eight years ago, nothing was like transparent. It was like, you have to go to the free event and then be upsold and then be upsold. And like, then you'll learn the information. But now on YouTube, dude, I mean, you can go watch my stuff. You can go watch other people's stuff. And I'm like, here's how you do it. Boom, 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 boom. And, you know, anyone could really get started today with no information or, I mean, I guess no like connections in the space Mm -hmm. YouTube Mm -hmm. and podcast can teach you, but, um, there's definitely a lot more Just speed up your time frame, being with a mentor and like a program that can push you through. Mm -hmm. Who cuts your hair? Dude, I get a haircut every Monday, dude. Are you serious? How much does it cost? Yes. 80 bucks. 80 bucks. What do you think? I don't think. See, the thing is, it looks expensive. <laughs> it can't be. It can't be. I know, 80 it can't be. 80 pretty dang expensive. There's no way it's know, 80 bucks. But like, uh, no, I see. I think you have someone probably coming to you. You're not going and like. So my guess is probably 120 bucks. Yeah. So Graham, Graham guessed right. I um I used to go to the barber shop yeah. and you know I'm like and honestly the typical haircut was like 30 bucks. No. And then you tip them and you know I I'd be usually at like 50 bucks. I'm like thanks, dude. Um. 
And then I was like one day, dude, this is wasting so much time having to always come to the barbershop every week. Like, can you come to my house? I was like, I'll pay you double. He's like, all right. So it's just a hundred bucks every Monday. Wow. A hundred dollars or four hundred dollars a month on haircuts. Has your wife not just said, hey, Ryan, we got to sit down. We got to talk about this. (laughs) Seriously, would this not create like arguments in the house? Because I just would. uh, How? Why? Who's going to argue? What's the reason for arguing? Yeah. What are we arguing about? It's a hundred dollars a week for you don't need a haircut every week. You I do think, when it's your signature. What difference does a week make? <laughs> I, it I does. Just, does it actually? It's not as crispy as you're seeing it today. You'll be like, yeah, he's got good hair. But now you're like, dude, how is it so crisp? You're talking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true, but it's like the line. But see, you could have the line for more than just No, like a you can't. Week, it, really? it would grow in. And I'd have to like maintain it myself, which is how did you pick that haircut? That's what like my hair naturally does. Like my hair naturally like goes up. Like I don't blow dry it. I don't do anything crazy. Like, yeah, I put gel in it, but, um, that's it. Have you made a video? My hair routine? No, I need to. <laughs> that would nice. honestly, it would blow yeah. up my yeah. hair routine. And you just show like, you just got out of the shower, you know, and you're just like combing your hair back, put the gel in what kind of gel you use. Yeah. Something like that would be how often you get a haircut. That would do really well. Yeah, I should do it. I think that would piss a lot of people off because, um, people talk about my hair all the time. They're like, dude, it must take you a long time. I'm like, it really doesn't. Like it would I, be funny if you did a satirical video yeah. where it's like four hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I get up at five because that's when my hair is perfect. Yeah. yeah it's like 3 a.m. Dedication. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you eat certain things to like help yeah, your to hair. Oil to your hair. <laughs> Broccoli. Yeah. That's yeah. the key. Yeah. Imagine that would be funny. You do like the laser treatments on the hair. For like yeah. The follicles. Like every morning if someone come in. Individually yeah. placing each hair. With, yeah. <laughs> well, by 9 a.m. it's ready. <laughs> Well, like to your point of the hair, you know, my um, Discord community was making all these hair memes. Alex, you know, right when I came in, he's like, dude, I love the hair memes. These, yeah. These guys are, they they take my hair to a whole nother level I didn't even think was possible. I'm like, you guys have too much time on your hands, but I love it. Let's talk about the real estate yes, market. Well, yeah, what are we, yeah. We're, talking, we're talking a lot about hair and Botox yeah. and stuff. You yeah. are the expert. Of real estate here. I thought you were going to say Sorry, Botox. No, <laughs> not quite. You're no. the expert of uh, cosmetic surgery. No, I'm just kidding. So everyone wants to know what's going on with the real estate market because we've seen a lot of fear in the market. Some YouTubers are talking about like price reductions and stuff like that that's going on. What's your opinion of all of this? Look, we, we've had the same conversation since the very first iced coffee hour. Every time you know we come on, um, like, look, I'm buying as much as humanly possible because this thing is going to keep going. And then, um, you know, now it's kind of an interesting time because the Fed's been raising rates. And so, you know, people are getting scared and whatever, right? I'll say in January, um, I made a YouTube video with like my predictions for 2022. And I said, this is what I predict is going to happen. I think they're going to raise rates in like March, April. It's going to cause a negative effect in the stock market. People are going to start panicking and doing all this stuff. And then they're going to reverse course and lower rates again, you know, Q3, Q4. Like that's still today what i predict will happen and even if that doesn't happen let's just say they keep rates where they are i don't see them continuing to raise rates the market still is just so hot it doesn't matter like if you compare it to two months ago or whatever sure like it's slowing down in comparison to that but like here in vegas there's still been less than a month of inventory you know like if if you were to go into like a pure like the market is tanking you would need four or five months of inventory to do that. So unless you believe, you know, five times the amount of houses are going to flood the market, nothing's going to happen. 
like as far as prices declining or anything like that. So my opinion is, I think that, yeah, it won't keep, you know, moving at the speed of lightning like it's been for the last two years. It's going to definitely grow slower, but I still think it's going up. Do you think that there's a chance that now maybe affordability is kind of tapped out? Rates are going up. Sellers might have to now begin to lower their asking prices because they're competing with other people. If they need to sell, they're going to sell. If rates go up, affordability goes down, lower prices, and that could start a trend. Well, let's talk about lowering prices because we lower prices on our flips too. Um, For the last two years, we've been pricing things like stupid asking prices. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't price it at market value and try to get a bidding war. Like these houses we're buying, you know, we originally thought, let's just say it was going to get 450 grand. And then by the time we list, we're looking at it we're like, oh man, one just sold for, you know, 480, right? Like that's great. But we're still like, let's list it at freaking 525 because we just know people have been paying it the last two years. So will we still take that kind of strategy as it slows down? No, we're not going to price as aggressive, right? And currently, if we've priced this thing at 525 and we thought we were going to sell it for 450, you know, it, yeah, we drop it to 500 and it, it still goes over and sets a new comp. Like that's what we're seeing. Um, so, yeah, I think price reductions are a bit of a myth because people are overpricing them so high compared to comps that like, oh, you got to price it closer to comps now. Like big thing that's happening that didn't happen in you know, 2008 is that you have all these hedge funds buying houses now, right? Like single family homes weren't an asset class before this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when these hedge funds are buying these homes, what people don't realize is they're taking them off the market completely. Like that home is gone the moment you sell it to them because they're not relisting it, trying to go flip it or anything. They're holding it for the next five, 10 years, who knows, right? And when they hold it, you know, they're building up their portfolio. They're not going to go sell it on the MLS when they're ready to sell. They're going to go sell it to another fund. Like, so that, that house just never comes back on the market. And that's why these funds are still buying so heavily because they just know every single day houses are being picked off the market for like good. And we're not being, we're not able to build quick enough or cheap enough to replace that house. And so Right now, you're just seeing this weird dynamic that's never existed in the history of housing where they're literally being removed from the market completely because they're not owned by normal people anymore. Yeah, but how many how many hedge funds and institutions are really out there buying these single-family homes? From all the research I could find, everything points to that being mostly a myth. Institutional investors for single-family homes are like 0.01% of the market, and they're buying up single-family homes, but in communities or in bulk in certain areas that were specifically designed or made to be rentals. So they're not like, you know, yeah, so you're Jack talking- Lister's house and BlackRock isn't going and like looking at Jack's house. But they are. So, I mean, we've sold a bunch to hedge funds, like just normal flips. We already flipped them and, you know, like renovated them and they paid over every normal buyer. What sort of hedge funds are you saying? They're just like, normal hedge funds that like are keeping them as rentals. Like I don't know the exact hedge funds by name, Mm -hmm. but like we've sold a bunch to hedge funds. And so like, we'll also wholesale to hedge funds where we don't even fix it up. Right. They're like, we want to buy this right now before you ever let it hit the market. And so we just sell it direct to them. Um, what you're referring to is build for rent, which is a very small niche thing. Like 
when they do these build for rent communities. Um, those are really cool, but yeah, they, they are very niche. But um, I would say also too, it depends on the market you're in. Most hedge funds are looking in places like Vegas and Phoenix and really nice markets and climates and newer homes. They love that. So like Vegas is a very heavily impacted market by yeah. hedge funds. I just have not seen, and again, you're in it. So you see like where these offers come. I have not seen anything that indicates that hedge funds are buying up single family homes uh, like one by one, because even from my perspective, going in and like negotiating, because to buy one house doesn't make sense for a hedge fund. Right. They would have to buy probably 50 to 100 houses. Yeah. Going through and negotiating 50 different homes, 50 different inspections, 50 different um, uh, uh, rentals. It, it, it just, it doesn't make sense yeah. on like when they're scattered around the city. If they're just, if their objective is to buy as much as possible. Yeah. So and, I'll, I'll send you, yeah. this is an email yesterday yeah. from um, one of the largest hedge funds. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, basically they're just outlining what it is they really want in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but these are, this seems like more like a wealthy individual who's like going out and trying to build a portfolio. No, that's what he wants you to think because you're more likely to sell to a small investor than you are to a hedge fund as like a mom and pop person. Mm -hmm. Like even for us, we, we try to do it more personable. Um, like with our postcards, it's, go. it's me and my family. Yeah. And so it's like me and my family, we want to buy your house. And they're like, Oh, that's cute. You know, this guy wants to support his family and buy the house. And it's like, I'm not even big. Right. But if I had a big corporate thing of like, you know, home run offers buying houses, it would perform worse than if it was a right. more personal <clears throat> thing with my kids, my wife and all that. So, um, what you saw is exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, that company I showed you is like you said, the biggest buyer in Vegas. I mean, they're buying so many houses. It's nuts, but I'm curious what company that is. And it's, it's, to me, it seems like it's a local company who's going and buying these and not like some big institution who's now what these you know, publicly traded on the market or anything like that. Well, what these institution do is, um, they partner with local brokers like that guy mm -hmm. and they just do this in every single state. Um, I'll show you after this. Sure. But, um, yeah, I think not even if you take out the hedge funds, which is a big portion of this, the other side of it is just homeowners in general right now. So, you know, it's like, man, if you sell your house, the big question is not how much you're going to make, like you're going to make a ton. Everyone's got equity, but where are you going to move? That's the problem. And so when you have this issue of affordability, like you said, um, somebody who maybe bought a house five years ago would love to sell, but they can't because they can't buy anything after the fact. They'll have all this money, but they either can't qualify for a mortgage or they don't want to deal with the headache of moving. And so now that can constrain supply because these people can't move because they can't buy. And so like if you, have, you take out these people now, you, you take out these hedge fund buyers, you take out... Um, you know, like just where, where's the inventory going to come from? Like, I don't know. And that's why when I look at it, I'm saying, okay, maybe even if demand goes down because people are like, I can't afford this. Right. Still, where's the supply going to come from? It's not only just where you're going to move to, but it's also now you're getting a higher interest rate mm -hmm. than you are probably locked into now. So like Jack, you got like a 2.8. If you sold and you bought another house, just an equivalent house or even something a little bit more that monthly payment's going to be so much higher. Yeah. So a lot of people in that position are just going to say, ah, you know, yeah. it's probably better I just stay. Jack, would you ever sell right now? Would I ever? Well, no, like right now, this very moment. No. Why? Because I know I got a fantastic rate, and plus I want to acquire more real estate rather than offload what I currently have. Right. 
So another point, right? It's like, you can't buy something else because it's too expensive. The rates are higher or whatever, right? You're mm-hmm. locked into this great deal of an interest rate. So people are less likely to sell because they got a great rate. Mm-hmm. Something that was interesting that we discussed with Jeremy when we had him on is like people in my age group that are looking to buy real estate, they've never seen higher rates. Like maybe you or Graham have seen. Mm -hmm. And for me to see, you know, I locked in 2.874 back in October and now it's almost double that now. And it's just like, you know, half a year later, Mm -hmm. it's just like, I'm, I can't even process it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I do not want to get anywhere near buying another piece of property because it just seems like the rates are so high, but historically not, not necessarily. Yeah. I, when I got in in 2010, the rates were around 5% at that mm-hmm. time. And, um, I know that back in before that, you know, seeing rates at six, seven, you know, 8% wasn't crazy. And then I remember my mom telling me like, yeah, 5% is really cheap. It's a great rate. Like get on it. And, um, yeah, I, I've watched it over the years, go to four. And then when they did all this stuff to see things in the twos blew my mind. I'm like, I can't believe people are getting 2% rates. Like this is nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, I don't mind paying 5%. Like I'm still buying rental properties and um, I'm fine with those rates. And if rates go back down, like I think they will, um, if it makes sense, I'll just refi and you know do that. But I want to acquire rentals. Why don't you go into developing properties instead of flipping? Yeah, so um, development is very lucrative. Um, as of today, right? These developers who started projects two years ago, (laughs) they're getting way more than they anticipated. Um, I had one of my students actually just text me. He's doing a development of like 10 lake houses in, um, hang, where is he at? He's like somewhere in the South. Um, and he was like, dude, we already got two offers on these houses that aren't even done like 200 grand down non-refundable. Like they want them. And, um, he's like, we're going to make like 400 K more than we projected on these million dollar houses in the span of like, you know, a year. So it's crazy just what's happening in development on that side. And then you see all the development with, you know, commercial real estate. You know, you look at Las Vegas, commercial real estate's going around everywhere. You know, people are not stopping. I would say for me, the reason I'm not doing development other than uh, my personal home, which I'm doing development on, is, I mean, you can only do so much in real estate, right? Like, so my focus is on, um, obviously, it's been flipping and wholesaling these last bunch of years, and now it's, you know, on the fund and buying apartments across the country. And, um, we could certainly do development, but, um, I don't know. It's just like, it's super lucrative, but I just don't have the capacity to worry about it right now. One thing that I was telling, uh, Jack, when we had Shelby on the podcast was that, um, I stayed in Yosemite at this Airstream park. Um, it was insane. So they have this huge plot of land right outside of Yosemite and there are 85 of these like mobile home you know, airstreams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And each one rents for about 300 to $400 a night. There's 85 of them. Yeah, they're crushing. And plus, <laughs> plus they got like a little center clubhouse where they sell like food and snacks and coffees and stuff like that. I was estimating this place is probably pulling in about eight to $10 million a year. Mm-hmm. And net, they, they're probably at like 5 million bucks yeah. a year 100%. doing something like that. Yeah. So, um, I had this girl on my podcast, her name's Heather Blankenship and, um, she's actually a part of future flipper and stuff now doing some really cool things, but she has these glamping resorts, um, across the country. And when she was first telling me about it on the podcast, this was like over a year ago, 
She's like, yeah, you know, we have these tents and stuff and, um, you know, we get like 300 bucks a night. I'm like, who's paying $300 for a tent? Like, what do you mean? And she was like, it's not a tent. Like you think like it's a, it's a house, you know, that, you know, it's really nice. It's got a bedroom. It's got a living room. Mm -hmm. And the whole glamping thing is nuts because it's so cheap to do. It's an experience people want. They're willing to pay a lot, you know, to get it. And all you really need is land and some utilities. Like it's mm-hmm. not, you don't even need the airstreams. You know, people are doing this with tents and yeah. stuff. Yeah, the tents they had were actually really nice. Exactly. Yeah. What's your opinion on like modular homes? Because I've been also looking into that. For me, it sounds really cool to be able to just buy a plot of land that's owned residential and then just throw in like, you know, a prefab home or something yeah. like that. Or five th- of them th- next yeah, to each I, other. That's yeah. what I'm saying and create like a little commune. Yeah. I know that they also sell on Home Depot or in Home Depot, like basically you know, sheds that yeah, yeah. can be livable and they're like 30, 30 grand. Yeah. So <laughs> I've learned so much about modular homes over the years, like way more than I ever thought to imagine. So we've been flipping mobile homes um, here in Vegas for a long time. And so I remember I, I used to be able to buy a mobile home with land for like 50 K. We'd try and go flip it for like 80 K. It was great. I mean, dude, these same mobile homes now in Vegas are selling for like 300 grand. Like it's nuts. And so um, your plan of like buying land and putting a mobile home on it in Vegas is going to cost you like 300 grand. Um, That's just where prices are. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe you buy it out there. But um, we ended up getting our mobile home dealer's license, my partner and I, because we were buying so many mobile homes and I was getting a bunch that were just terrible. And I was like, you know what? Like, let's scrap them and throw a new mobile home on there. We don't have to do any renovation. We don't have to, we'll just throw the mobile home Mm -hmm. on there. And, um, at the time when we got it, it was going to be like around a hundred grand to like do a legit, like 1500 square foot, double wide, brand new, everything, you know, the shipping, the foundation, all the things you needed to do. Um, we ended up never doing it because it just was a lot of work. And like that same 50 grand mobile home, um, we were able to just go flip it for like 80. And so we were like, eh, why even deal with all this? It's just not really worth the headache or the risk. But like, that's what mobile homes are today as far as like owning the land with them in these places in Vegas, you know, like what, um, our friend Brandon Turner is doing yeah. is he's buying mobile home parks across the country. I where... invested in one. Oh, oh nice. Like, yeah. Nice. So yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm actually a one tenth owner now of a mobile of home park. His mobile home park. Yeah. Did I tell you that Jack? No. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. He had an allocation and, uh, asked me if I wanted to uh, go in. I was like, you know what? Why not? He sent me the deal. And I really liked it a lot. Can you walk us through the numbers? Uh, yeah, I I have to pull it up. Yeah, while you pull it up, I'll explain. So, like, the mobile home parks are cool because you don't own the mobile homes themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. you can, but all you do is you own the land, and then people pay you lot rent on all of these mobile homes on there. And so, um, some and they people, move their mobile homes onto that land. Yeah, or you might already have one there because it it came with the land, or somebody left it, or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and then you can charge more because you've already got a mobile home for them. Are, is mobile home zoning different than like actual, like, you know? Yeah. You can't studded. just go throw a mobile home wherever you want. Yeah. So it still has to be zoned for the same amount of capacity of like residential, you know, houses or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, you have to be able to, um, you know, if, if you got a plot of land, you know, in the middle of this nice neighborhood in Summerlin or something, you know, you can't just go throw a mobile home there. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, they're not going to let it. you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I actually thought the reason I know that is because I thought about it. I was like, <laughs> what would happen if I just did this? Yeah. But no, they won't let you. Mobile homes are interesting in that way. But like even today, 
you you won't believe this, but there are luxury homes that are built modularly. Mm -hmm. And so Yeah, yeah, I've seen those. My house that um I'm actually moving into now, not the house I'm building um on the mountain, but this other house that I bought as a flip, I paid one point eight million dollars for it. And, you know, it's worth over three million once we get it fixed up and stuff. But, you know, it looks like a normal modern house. It's super cool. And all of a sudden, like the guy starts telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, this is a modular home. I was like, this is a modular home. Like, what do you mean? Like, how is a, you know, $3 million home, a modular home? He's like, well, you know, half of the house is built, um, you know, as a normal stick build. And then there's this half of the house that is, you know, they brought in, they imported these different modulars. And so there's like five pieces that came you know, in these modular, and you would mm. never know, like, there's no way you would ever know unless he told you. But I realized it, um, by actually looking at the walls. And so like the door frame, if you look at the door frame right out here, right, you know, it's like six inches. Mm-hmm. Well, these door frames were like this big. And I was like, why is the door frame and wall so big? That doesn't make any sense. Well, the reason was they were attached. That was where the seam was oh. for the modular. And so it has to be thicker to support yeah. it and do all that. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, those luxury modular homes are really cool. And they make ones with like big glass sliding doors and stuff like that. And it's yeah. still like relatively cheap for what you're getting. Yeah, I don't know why the guy did that. But, you know, I got a good deal on it for a reason, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's the the deal. Maybe don't give too much detail out, just because I, I don't know how much of it is public. Yeah. Uh, but basically, for three point two million, uh, they're expecting overall. I think the the total return over the next ten years is going to be somewhere on like almost twenty percent a year. Mm-hmm. It's pretty high. Yep. Uh, the advantage of this is that you could do some mass depreciation up front. Yep. Which is really good. So let's say if you for every dollar you invest, you're able to write off like a dollar to a dollar forty. Yep. Uh in depreciation, which is really attractive. And then also, um, their plan was to um not only fix up the uh the the area and just make it more inviting. I mean, it it, it was not run properly. So a lot of things were just degrading and not mm-hmm. properly taken care of. So with his team, he's going to go in there and make sure everything is properly taken care of. And then also what what I really liked about Brandon Turner was that he really wants his tenants to uh, grow their wealth and invest in where they live. And so oftentimes with his tenants, instead of him trying to like raise rents, he'll host these events that teach about financial literacy and ways for them to eventually buy the place that they're living. Mm. And so long-term, he'll be the owner. Very and cool. so part of that was he intends to sell those units if, if they could afford them or if they want to buy them. So instead of them renting, they could own them. Mm. And then, then yeah. that works out for them, and it works out for Brandon and his fund because now it's one less thing that they have to manage for upkeep. Well, and also, too, it makes that tenant more sticky because now that they own that mobile home, they're not leaving. Yeah. I really like not having to uh, to worry about it. Like, I, I trust Brandon explicitly. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, here's my money. <laughs> I trust you, man. So how much did you give him? Uh, $300,000. So you should be get like 60 grand a year from that, effectively? <sighs> Over eight years. But that also includes- That includes the sale. The sale. Right. So up until the sale, I'll be getting anywhere between like 7% to 10% a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't care. I mean, just- I see the you long got the term tax write off. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get the big payday at the end. Like yeah. that's how all syndications work. Like, you know, you're going to cash flow a little bit throughout 
the play and then the hope is that you have a big exit or a big refi where you get your money back and then um you know you've got this property that you own with no money in the deal yeah and that's actually what we've what what ryan and i have done which which is odd because it's uh i've wanted to when we had alex formosi on here he was telling me you got to do like a real estate fund yep and i told him i didn't want to do the work on that because it's i i've just seen how much work is involved behind the scenes of like managing it. I just, I couldn't possibly do that. So when you reached out to me, it was actually really cool because I, I had talked to Brandon Turner about potentially partnering with him on a fund. Uh, cause I really like Brandon Turner a lot. I know he has a good eye for things mm-hmm. and we, we had a good talk and you know, he is just so inundated and he just like, I, I can't do anything like, so when you called me and said, Hey, I think we could work together. I was really excited about it. Yeah, dude, I was too. So it's funny because I've talked to um, Hormozy quite a bit, um, him being here in Vegas and stuff. And, you know, somebody had sent me the podcast you did with them. They're like, dude, Hormozy's telling Graham he needs to start a fund. <laughs> you know, you should reach out to Graham. And I was like, all right, let me go watch this. And so, you know, I watched it and I'm like, all right, Graham, dude, are you ready? Like, and then you're like, yeah. It was just like a I very s- quick yeah. thing. Yeah. I said, give me 24 hours. Yeah. Because I had told Brandon Turner that he had priority. Yep. And I wasn't going to do anything without Brandon Turner's permission on that because I didn't want to feel like, you know, I'm ever like going around someone. So I called him. Yeah. And uh, he spoke very highly of you, by the way. Yeah. Brandon's so, a man. Yeah. I love Brandon, dude. We, um, I mean, I, I've said this on Bigger Pockets and, you know, just with him, like he's the reason I've been able to have success in real estate. Like it was his book I read. Um, it was his podcast I listened to that gave me the start. And so, you know, I'm forever grateful to him. And then being able to, you know, I've been to Hawaii multiple times and hung out with him. And he's always like, dude, if you ever want to come, the basement's open. Like his place is so cool. Yeah. He's just nice. He's the man. And, um, yeah. So it's funny because, uh, he, you know, we all share the same lawyer. We, we were just talking to our lawyer, um, Monday. Mm -hmm. Right. And he had been telling me to start a fund at some point. And then my other friend told me, and I'm like, all right, fine, we're going to do this. And so last year we did it. And, um, you know, we've bought 460 units, um, there. And then, you know, when I saw Hermosi's podcast with you, you know, I reached out and I'm like, look, I think there's a way that we can do this even bigger. You know, if we work together, um, we've already got all these relationships with all these operators and guys finding deals across the country. And, um, in fact, you know, we turned down a lot of deals that I think would be great for a different fund because, um, you know, for us, we, we want the pieces of crap that are just so beat up. And like, you know, the last thing we bought was 126 units. It's literally zero vacants or it's um, zero occupied. Zero vacancy. Yeah, no, zero <laughs> occupied. Yeah. There's no one there. Yeah. And like, we like it. We, we want to fix that up and make a lot. But um, there's a ton of great deals that, you know, are doing well. And there are ways to add value to them. But like, we just were like, man, our, our thing is we want to go with these home run type deals, but there's so many doubles out there, doubles, triples that could become home runs too, if we just took them down. And so that was when I reached out to you, I'm like, I think if we partnered, your audience would eat up these deals that we're just turning down that are great. And so, um, dude, I think we're going to do a lot of good yeah. stuff. Cause I was telling Ryan too, I would much rather a safe, predictable return than something that's a home run 10 years from now. I would just rather just feel better about consistency. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I'm so excited about it because we're getting sent those all the time. And there's, I mean, right when we, you know, we're like, let's do this. And we yeah, start you moved paper. fast. I was blown away within 24 hours. You're like, all right, we're going to get all this done. Yeah. And by the end of the week, you're like, here's the paperwork. 
Yeah. Like, not like that. Obviously, not yeah. that tone. But, like, yeah. here you go, Grab, sign it. <laughs> here's but, our uh, logo. Here's our yeah. website. But I was here's... shocked how fast you moved on all of this. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't expect anything else, but, like, yeah. it was faster than I thought was possible. Yeah. Um, but then you brought us the deal in St. Louis. Can you tell us about that? I was telling Jack there's, like, a brewery in the bottom that I was really excited about. Yeah. So this, and this is the beauty of having, um, you know, a coaching program and a big mastermind. So like my students are nationwide, right. And they're always hunting for deals everywhere. And so with them, um, you know, they have a harder time raising capital than you or I would have. And so this deal actually came from one of my students in St. Louis. Um, he's flipping a lot of houses. He's a GC on commercial real estate projects and stuff. And he was like, dude, Ryan, you need to look at this deal. Like it's, um, it's around like 80 units or something mm-hmm. in St. Louis. And, um, there's this really hip bar, um, at the bottom that, you know, everyone, all the locals love going to, it's like renovated and it's super cool. And there's, um, like this other space that's empty that we could, you know, do whatever we want with. That's also cool. And, um, we started looking at the numbers and, you know, I was like, all right, this is a really cool deal. Like it's already occupied. It's stable. It's good. And, um, you know, there's some other things we can do to add value. Um, and you and I were talking and we had just, you know, finalized our, our deal. And I was like, dude, this would be a great first one for, mm. um, creator properties. So I'm excited about that one. Yeah. Oh, that's the name of it. It's called creator I properties. Saw. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah you- guys, if you want a hot take, I didn't like the name. I'm going to be honest. No, it sounded a little gimmicky. No, really? Yeah. That, I like the name. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. Because it's like, because it could have a dual meaning, like a creator is in a creator on on youtube or wherever but it could also be like creators and like you're creating these opportunities yeah well alex <laughs> can't win them all well you can't <laughs> invest you know alex I, you know what guys yeah, alex, you know what alex we don't want you I anyway I, I can't even invest in it so yeah you, you gotta know, be an accredited not, investor is, is that the requirement is being an accredited investor yeah, yeah you have to be accredited investor and for those that don't know what is an accredited investor um so you gotta have a million dollar net worth or um, income of two hundred thousand dollars for the last two years. Yep. Or if you're married, um, I think it's three hundred thousand the last two years mm-hmm. as a as a joint couple. And are there other ins potentially for those that don't meet those requirements? Because I may know someone. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually well, check your house is worth two million dollars, right? Yeah, it's worth yeah. two million dollars. How do they verify that? I mean, so we use third party. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So we don't. You know, if you guys apply at Creator Properties, we're not going to verify we're going to send you to um, a third-party accreditation they're going to be the ones who decide got it do you guys have a do you guys have a minimum like an investment amount um typically we do about 50k just Mm. because you know at the end of the day you don't want to have so many investors in one deal like it's just more paperwork it's right if you're an accredited investor like you should have more capital anyway right what do you think about the name jack Be, be honest creator properties creator properties okay so i will be honest be honest I thought it was a touch gimmicky because creator properties is just like, it's kind of a little bit easy of a name and I'm not going to say, but here's the thing. Yeah. There is a little bit of a double entendre, which you know, I like, yeah, I do I like know, that. I know. And overall, I think realistically, that's a great way to market, especially like if you're marketing on YouTube predominantly yeah. creator properties, it just goes in yeah, line. What with was it. the first name that we thought of that we both really liked? It was, so when I was just randomly telling Graham, like, okay, so here's the deal, you know, we're going to start this creator capital Mm -hmm. and, um, was that it? Uh, Yeah. It was just, Graham's like, I really like that name. Yeah. He's like, where'd you come up with that? And I was like, it's just like the placeholder name until 
Creator capital honestly sounds like something Coffee would make. Coffeezilla would make a video on. <laughs> it just sounds like that. Does it not? <laughs> you know what? I think Jack summarized my thoughts like pretty much perfectly. I, I agree with everything Jack said. Um, I think it's great for branding, and I, I think it's a good move. Just Ted, yeah. Alex, what do you think of the logo? The logo I actually liked. Uh, it, I mean, because it made sense with the name, uh, yeah. and I thought that it, it, it was great for branding. So the logo, I think you guys nailed it. Uh, just not sure if I like to create a properties, but you know, it's growing, it's growing is, on me a little bit. Is it bit. too it's late growing. to change the name? Or <laughs> we, stuck, we stuck with this now. We're, we're already doing a you name change. You signed on the dot. <laughs> yeah. I, um, Gosh. it's always fun coming up with names. Like it, that's my favorite part of business oh, is I like that really, you know, coming up with them and the logos and the branding and all that stuff. And, uh, when I was trying to think of names, I'm trying to think like, how does this relate to Graham and what like has made Graham who he is and successful. It's like, mm -hmm. man, if you think of Graham, you're like, this guy is the best creator. Like yeah, cheap property. Cheap property. <laughs> <laughs> Frugal oh, investments. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's a good one. Cheap investments. <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh when I set up my first LLC, thank thankfully Jason uh Oppenheim talked me out of this. But uh I was setting up the first one. I think I was like this is like 2014. And I uh came up with the name Real estate cash flow LLC. Jason, like Graham, you're not doing that. I was like, why? It's real estate cash flow. He's like, that. That is the worst the name. name. <laughs> Stupidest name. Do not do that. That's and so he was funny. like so against it. I thought, like, wow, real estate cash flow. It's cool. It's cool. The only, the only Looking place. back, it was, it's so cringy oh, that like I yeah. even thought like. Yeah, and the reason we didn't go with Creator Capital too yeah. was um, obviously the domains were taken and stuff. But the more I thought, I'm like. How will they know it's real estate, right? Because, like, to me, it'd be like, oh, creator capital, we're going to go fund other creators and, like, buy, you know, their their brands. And that stuff makes like sense, that. yeah. And so I'm like, how do we add real estate to, you know, being a creator? And so that yeah. was the mindset. Can you go over some of the specifics on the uh, St. Louis deal? Oh, man, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. Um, yeah, I don't want to butcher what, okay. we're, what we're doing with it. But I do know... We got a million dollar um, credit mm -hmm. for the roof, so we got a million dollars off since we got it too. So let's say I am an accredited investor. Why would I go and do this instead of just go and buy a property on my own and have all of that control? Um, multiple reasons. So, you know, if you go and buy a house yourself, I mean, obviously you own it 100% and you're the one who has to deal with everything. You've got to find the deal. You've got to deal with the tenants, the maintenance, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you invest in something like this, um, we're going to find the deal, which we have, right? Here's the deal. You can choose whether or not you want to invest in it. Um, we are going to manage it. We're going to, you know, renovate it, stabilize it, all this stuff. And it's really passive for you. Like you don't have to do anything. And so that's the benefit for most people like Graham. What, you know, the reason he invested with Brandon in that deal is that, you know, he's not doing anything. Like, he's yeah. just like, take my money, multiply it. And, um, I trust you. And so, that's the benefit of a fund. Like a lot of accredited investors um, that invest with us on these deals, most of them aren't always real estate guys. Most of them are doctors and, you know, even influencers or, uh, you know, e-commerce people, people who are not in the real estate field, but have made a lot of money and they don't know how to invest because they haven't made their money investing. They've made it like doing a job. And so for them, they just don't, they wouldn't even know what to buy in real estate. And so they would rather just um, go with the experts and not do anything and focus on their, their job that actually makes mm -hmm. them money. And how do the finances work out for you? 
like in the syndication, like how, how would it, so obviously you collect all of these people's money, you put it into a property, the property sells at a premium. How do you distribute the money after you sell the property, different percentage wise? I'm sure you guys have some sort of, you know, bonus or something that you guys take from the work. Yeah. So, um, we can break down just kind of how a typical um, syndication mm-hmm. works. Yeah. So you have GPs and LPs. GPs are your general partners. These are the people who are, you know, me and Graham. We're finding the deals. We are underwriting them. We're getting everything prepared. You know, once we buy it, we're going to be the ones managing it, doing everything. Then you have the LPs, which are the limited partners. Those are the investors, right? Like they're they're not in charge of doing any of that. They just are in charge of putting their money up and then just kind of waiting and collecting checks on the meantime. So um, typically what happens is your GPs and LPs will split the deal in a certain percentage. I mean, it it varies, man, just depending on how big the deal is. I mean, you might see deals that are 50-50. You might see deals that are 70-30, 80-20. Like it really just depends on how good the deal is and how it's structured. Um, but along with that, the LPs will also get um, a preferred return. And so, you know, a typical preferred return is anywhere from 6 to 8%. And um, essentially... Before anyone takes their profit split, the LPs need to be paid that preferred return first. Mm -hmm. And anything above that preferred return then gets split up depending on how that split goes. So for easy sake, let's just say it's a 50-50 split and the property is returning, you know, 12% every month right now. Well, if you have a preferred return, what will happen is the LP will get 8% first and foremost before anybody then the remaining 4% gets split up 50-50 between the GPs and the LPs. And so what would happen is the LPs would make 10%, GPs would make 2%. So as the GPs on that side, we're making 2%. But we also make monies in other ways with GPs. I mean, we have an acquisition fee, um, you know, a yearly management fee. But, you know, at the end of the day, honestly, as a GP, the big payday is at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, like the 2% every month ain't doing much for us. But right. at the end, you know, let's just say this uh, St. Louis deal, I don't know, you know, it, around $10 million. Um, if it sells for $15 million in however many years, um, you know, as long as the LPs got paid their, um, you know, their their 8% all those years and stuff, um, basically we'd end up splitting the profit from that. And so that's how we make a bigger payday. So the GPs would take, let's say, two and a half million split that amongst themselves. And then the remaining two and a half million would just go to every LP investor. Yep. And then the LPs have been making that 8% that whole time as well. Mm -hmm. But of course this is always subject to change. If it's a different structure of a syndication. Yeah. 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 So like what, what would typically happen is like if a deal is um, more thin, we always want to make sure the LPs get like the desired return. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, man, Grant Graham is looking at like that 15, percent return on Brandon's deal, right? 15 to 20%. Mm -hmm. That's what he's looking at. He's not necessarily super concerned about, well, how much is Brandon making? Mm -hmm. You know, he's like, oh, I'm making 15, 20%. Like, cool. And so like to structure a deal like that, you know, you might have to give the LPs a big chunk of the deal. You might have to give them 80% um, to achieve that return that you're trying to get for them. But maybe you got like a super crazy deal and you don't need to give up Mm -hmm. that much because the deal is so good you know, you can split it up differently because everybody wants to invest in it, you know? So it's just like anything else. It's kind of supply and demand. And you just kind of take it on a deal by deal basis and say like, okay, first and foremost, what's my LP's desired return, you know, on this. And so how do we structure it to get them that? And do the GPs put up any capital in the beginning to like own a certain percentage or whatever of the? 
Yeah. Location? So, um, obviously we have all of our startup cost with this and, um, everything we're doing on the legal side and everything. So we front all of that. We front the earnest money deposits. In fact, I didn't even tell you this, Graham, mm-hmm. but, um, on the Arizona deal that we're doing, I just sent a hundred grand, um, for the earnest money deposit. So, you know, we have those upfront cost. Um, and then typically what happens is a lot of the banks that we're doing these deals with want to see skin in the game mm-hmm. from the GPs. And so like in Graham and I's partnership, essentially we're going to put in whatever they want us to put in, you know, equally. And so, you know, on this deal, the banks might say, Hey, Graham and Ryan, we want you guys to put in hundred grand each into this deal, you know, for us to fund it. And so, you know, we'll do whatever we got to do. Mm-hmm. And then, um, we'll actually make, um, you know, the preferred return on that 8% as if we were just investors on it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And My, when you yeah. do buy these big properties, you buy them with debt, right? So let's say you accept mm-hmm. like $2 million and it's like a $5 million property or whatever, like yeah. take out a loan. Yeah. Like let's just, you know, the St. Louis deal, like let's just say it's around $10 million total. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll go and take a um, loan out for probably 70% ish of it. So we'll get a $7 million loan. We'll go raise 3 million bucks. And so that's kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. And all of the tax benefits and everything, is that dispersed amongst all LPs or is that, how does that go about? So this is where you can get creative with it. Um, you can totally just change how you want the depreciation and the taxes to go on a deal by deal basis. So, you know, let's just say Graham and I buy so many deals this year because we're just crushing it and mm-hmm. everybody's happy. Um, what might happen is like, we're like, dude, we don't even need any more depreciation. Like we're you know, we've got our taxes down to zero, which would be fantastic mm. for Graham. Well, then we can just start saying, hey, you know what? We're going to start um, giving all of our depreciation to the LPs because mm-hmm. um, we don't really need it. Like it would be a waste for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can totally manipulate deals that way. Or if like, you know, let's just say we want to make a juicier deal for LPs. Right. Know? Then you'd include that in the terms and everything. Yeah. We would just manipulate it to give them more depreciation and tax advantages and mm-hmm. structure the deal that way. How do people that make syndications like screw over LPs? Because I know that some, to some people there could be kind of like a bad idea, you know, bad connotation towards syndications. Why do you think that's there? And what is done in those situations that like can negatively, you know, affect the LPs? Well, you know, with, um, the type of fund we're doing, you know, it's a five or six C, so it's accredited investors only. So, Basically, the reason that they do that is because like accredited investors are, you know, big boys like they they know what they're doing and like they know that they're investing their own money at their own risk. And if they lose it, it's not going to be catastrophic. Like Mm -hmm. they're obviously doing pretty well. Um, The reason they make it so strict on 506Bs where they're they allow anyone and everyone to invest is because those people, you know, might not be as savvy or educated. And so you know, they hear Graham and they're like, dude, I want to put my life savings with Graham. Mm-hmm. I got $10,000. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they're just like, dude, how's this deal doing? Like, cause it's their whole life savings. And so that's why you see most funds not, I don't even want to say most don't go that route, but like, that's where you see a lot of the flack is when mm-hmm. you deal with that side of it. Because most accredited investors are busy, like running their mm-hmm. businesses and their lives. Like they don't have time to, have you checked in like to worry about the mobile home park? Oh, never. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, and that's what most investors, that's why they're investing. Um, but I would say to protect them, um, I mean, first and foremost, like they're getting the preferred return. So like they're getting that interest before anybody. Mm-hmm. So whatever cash flow is coming in, making sure that they get paid first on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as far as like protection, it's just like any other normal real estate deal you do. Like, I mean, if things go south, there is the, 
you know, threat of a foreclosure and things. But I will say with what Graham and I are doing on a lot of the initial purchases, right, we're having to personally guarantee them. And so by us personally guaranteeing yeah. them, like right. we're on the hook. If, if anything goes bad, it's like Ryan and I. Coffeezilla. Oh. Boom. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, honestly, like, like, if, if, like, yeah. if anything goes bad, it's, it's obviously then we yeah. step in. Mm-hmm. And so just like with anything, but I, I think the biggest risk, Jack, honestly, is the lack of liquidity. And I think that's hard for some people to overcome just knowing that if they invest in a deal like this, mm-hmm. the money is tied up for anywhere from five to 10 years. They can't sell their portion of, unless if they negotiate out some other right. like discounted deal or like, well, how it, does that work? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to go off topic, but, um, so, okay, just on the way it works today on a normal fund, if Jack, all of a sudden you were accredited and you invest hundred K with us and you're like, Ryan, dude, I really need the hundred K because, um, you know, I'm, I'm going through something or there's a big opportunity for me. What would happen is you'd come to us and we would say, okay, Jack, like we'll try our best to see if there's any other investors in the deal that want to take your place and buy your shares, right? That'd be first thing we try and do. Second thing we would try to do is, um, go put it like to our contacts of like people that we know weren't in on that deal and like, Hey, do you want to get in on this deal now? Cause Jack's doesn't want to. So we try to get you out that way. You might have to take a loss, you know, as far as like, you know, just to get liquidity like that. Those are all scenarios or, you know, potentially, you know, you've been in this fund for two years, it's gone up a lot and it's getting ready to exit, but you're like, I need to exit early. And so maybe, you know, you make a little bit of money, right? That's what would happen today. Um, what I've been making a lot of YouTube videos about and like something that, you know, I'm working on heavily is my NFT project called Tykes, which is basically getting ready for this digital real estate revolution. Um, because what's going to happen eventually is they're going to NFT funds like this. Um, and it's already happening. There are companies that do it, but they're going to NFT funds to solve that very issue of liquidity. Because if everybody's share was an NFT, say for $100,000, right? Um, instead of relying on me to try and cash you out and be out of luck, you'd be able to sell that share like whenever you felt like it. Whether, right, but maybe not to an accredited investor or something like that. Well, what will happen on for the accredited investor funds is there's going to be intermediaries where you can list it, right? Hmm. You can okay. list it on a marketplace and the intermediary will verify that the new buyer is accredited. You know, they'll get their information and do the transaction. Mm-hmm. But just being able to make shares liquid is going to be huge in the future. And there's no reason like that shouldn't be the way things happen, right? Because for us as GPs, if you go share your sh- sell your shares on the open market, it doesn't matter to us. Like we still have the property. Nothing has changed on our end. You've just decided to either exit for liquidity or you know, maybe you think the market's going to crash next year, but you know, you know, we're not selling anytime soon. We're still getting it stabilized and ready. And, um, you're like, dude, you know, my hundred thousand, uh, I could probably go sell it for one twenty right now. I'm just going to sell it and bounce and let somebody else take the risk. So that's going to happen in the future for sure. But why can't that be done in the current way? Not including the NFTs. I mean, it would be done the way I'm talking about where, um, we would just go try to sell your shares. Like, but I don't, it can't be sold on the open market. It's the same, it's the same reason, like, when I invest in a startup company, mm-hmm. I can't just go and sell my shares, mm-hmm. even if I want to, even if it's worth more. It's against it's the all, paperwork in, right. that you've it's signed. A, it's a long process, mm-hmm. and they would have to, it would be contingent on them basically finding a replacement who wants to buy it under the terms of whatever the board has set. So it's, it's, 
the same as investing, well, similar as investing in a startup company that's illiquid or a privatized company where shares are not trading back and forth. Mm -hmm. But in a way, I think it, it could work to people's favor because I remember uh, in Grant Cardone's fund in 2020, right as the COVID shutdown, people were panicking and wanting to get rid of whatever they had with Grant Cardone. And I remember him making these videos telling people, no, we're holding, uh, you know, we need to we need to see this through. Don't worry about it. And there are all these rumors about him, like selling his jet to go bankrupt. But those people that didn't sell, they, they've probably more than doubled their money. Yeah, they did just great. by not selling. And so in a way, locking it up ensures that you're able to hold on to it long enough to increase the chances of coming out ahead. Yeah. Profitable. Well, and I saw an article from Goldman Sachs um about a week ago where they talked about how they're super bullish on digital real estate. Like essentially they're looking at real estate being, you know, tokenized and traded just like stocks for this very reason. Right. You know, imagine instead of me hunting for deals, you know, to buy the whole house, I could hunt for people, you know, who are trying to sell their shares right now on great projects. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh dude, creator properties has this great deal. Why does this guy want to sell his stuff right now? Like, for whatever reason, you're listing it for sale and they're going to be buying up these, you know, things. And so that will become more efficient as time goes on 100%. And that's going to be a full on industry of trading, you know, shares in these real estate projects. That makes sense. Yeah. It sounds like something very yeah, interesting. We, we, I wonder if you could be accredited. I can't. You need that extra year. Yeah. So Graham, what we can do though, okay, for yeah. all of our friends is... You know, we could do um, a 506B, but we just can't market it. And so what, you know, we could do with Jack is like, let's just say we get a deal where, you know, we're going to raise a million, two million bucks. And we already know Jack's in. Hmm. We're going to, we might let Alex in if he changes his tone about creator properties. <laughs> um, Burn. <laughs> we might let him in. Um, but, you know, we'll have Jeremy and Kevin and all yeah. these guys like they're Andre. They're all like, yeah, we want in. We don't even need to advertise it. Right. Well, that in that case, you can do, you know, like a friends and family fund mm -hmm. where you can invest with us. What if because this St. Louis one, man, it sounds pretty <laughs> about, attempting to be yeah. can Graham invest in that. And then after I file my next you know, return and then I becoming accredited. Oh, then I hopefully sell after that, portion, then he yeah. can sell his portion to me. It's gonna I be don't. a hefty profit, Jack. There's <laughs> a premium for yeah, that. Yeah. My, my gut tells me <laughs> that you can, but uh, I'm not the lawyer, so Got it. I'm okay. not going to say yeah. that you can do that and uh, do anything to jeopardize us. How okay. about how about Jack and I just uh, pass our Series 65, and then you guys drop that uh, requirement for us the 50k a little bit you know and then uh can you and jack just make more money yeah, can yeah. We, like let's just oh, do that oh, oh yeah you, you know what that buddy like like idea ryan yeah can i co can can i co-sign for jack as like as an accredited <laughs> like, you get like a sponsor and you're like i'm sponsoring jack as the accredited investor like i'll back him up <laughs> can i do that i would do it because jack i would i would i would gladly because i was playing all of my money this year is is well, almost all of it is probably going to go in, in real estate funds mm -hmm. this year. So, like, that's my goal is, like, everything I make and save goes right back into the fund. So, like, I would – I don't know if I'd leave in legal – like, oh, I'll put money in, and if you want to buy my portion. Later. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Contingent if that is legal, of e course. Exactly. If it is illegal, I will not do it. Got exactly. it. But either way, I will invest. And maybe well, if I feel like it and it's legal – 
And you can buy those funds as an accredited investor. And at a premium. At a premium. <laughs> I've got a problem. A significant premium. Then maybe I will possibly consider it. Thank you, Graham. Well, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That. And you know what's funny, too, about that, Graham, is so in most of these deals, I imagine we're going to do a cost segregation to get, um, you know, the big tax benefits on these deals. So if we did do that, you would get the depreciation that year you bought it. Oh, well, and Jack would miss out. <laughs> Jack's like, well, let's not go yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you'd actually not even need to sell it for a premium because you already took the huge bonus. Okay. Sell for discount. That's a good uh, idea. Discount. Yeah, <laughs> Discount. You know that word, discount. But you know the, yeah. um, the last podcast I was on, you were actually telling Jack, you know, Jack hadn't bought his first house yet. And he was like, Ryan, should I buy a house? I'm like, yes. And you're like, the market's so high right now. I'm like, Buy the house, no. Jack. You played a big role in me buying that property because someone, didn't want I'm not going to gonna say who, yeah. didn't want me to buy very, very but, much well, so. I said he could save so much money by not buying. Yeah. And then by the time he's ready to buy something, he's going to be in a different price point. And I guarantee, had you waited probably another year, your price point would be Graham, maybe double. I agree, but I, I, I also yeah, but the I price would have gone up. <laughs> like, yeah, whoa, and more. also yeah. I I wanted to have a place of my own, and since I moved in my own place, I have been able to yes. use the space and the people I've I moved agree. in to then do contract work through, and then increase my income, and then I agree. You're, you're, you're doing barbecues like office, every week basically. too. Yeah. I am doing networking barbecues. Yeah. Yes, no, so I gotta those, come. That, beef is a write off. Yeah, yeah, beef is a write off. He basically uses his entire house as an office because everyone that lives there, we all work together. Oh, I love. Yeah, so yeah. he's got just like everyone in one house and they all just like work It's incredible. Together. It's That's, so yeah. nice to be able to just knock on, you know, my my brand manager's door. Hey man, how's this sponsorship deal? That's how I through? felt with Jack living here. It's just <laughs> Jack, Wake Jack. Up. Yeah, it's <laughs> got a podcast. I, I love well, that it. was something different. I loved but it. but yeah, it's super nice. And my editor, I just knock on his door. Hey, man, how's the video going? It's Jack great. hated when I knocked on his door. <laughs> he he would always lock it, and I would have to. I would send a text, which I'm fine with. I would send always lock it. Did you ever try? Did you ever try? It, <laughs> <laughs> it was so no, annoying. No, he would was... always lock his door to his bedroom <laughs> and his bathroom. Oh. The guest house, though, yeah. uh, I would basically just like I would startle him. That was the thing. I just, <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, out. like 7 p.m., <laughs> get a knock yeah. on the door. Well, was, the, yeah. the reason I brought it up was because I remember during that time Graham was like, "Hey, I will." I'll, I'll spot you on it. Like I'll, mm -hmm. I'll fund your down payment, mm -hmm. whatever, and you'll pay me interest. And so he's offering to do that again for you, dude. What a good boss. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. He really, if is. it's legal, if it's legal. Yes. Yeah, maybe <laughs> for a premium. I would do it for, for, for a premium. You can't forget the premium. All right, cool. Deal. Yeah. What questions do you have on a Alex? I feel like honestly, we addressed most of them. I know. Yeah. I was like, Jack was over there, like powerhousing through all the questions yeah, that were going question. through my head, Jack. Thank you. Great. You yeah, job, great yeah. job. Yeah. I just man. wanted to make sure you that actually if you just did a great webinar. Yeah, good. Yeah. I thought that was honestly helped you guys oh. out a lot. Like the pitch was yeah, <laughs> very yeah, good. Dude, Give you, me a percentage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get it for um, a less of a premium now. Cool. Well, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. But no, the other thing I really liked about this is. I think this was late 2020. I started looking around for myself because I wanted to not do a syndicate. I wanted to do something on my own. And I, I spoke with a lender and the lender basically told me you could you could buy something in between six and 12. And I'm like, maybe if I if I wait a little bit longer, I could maybe push that to like 15. And I started looking around and calling. There was nothing. And every single deal, it's it. I was in this weird price point where, like, by myself, either I was getting something that was needing a ton of work. Like you were talking about these home run deals. These are deals that, like, this is a year of my life that I'd have to spend <laughs> renovating, trying to rent it out. It's a full time job for a year that I'd be buying myself. And then the really expensive places, 
you're competing with these deals that, you know, sure, I could afford it, but I'm competing with people who buy them all cash. Yeah. And there's no way that I can compete with, like, some, you know, conglomerate or some really rich guy who's like, here's $15 million cash, seven-day close. And I'm sitting there, like, sweating, being like, this is this is everything. Like, what if it goes wrong? We need a 30-day inspection on it. And so this was, I at least felt for myself, a good mix in between that I could get in that price point with partnering with other people who've done it before yeah. uh, in terms of the management side of things. Because I've never managed anything beyond a triplex. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for it, dude. I think, um, obviously, and we've just started, you know, it's only been a month of really, you know, going through everything, but already having two deals and there's going to be many more like, we're going to buy a lot of real estate here in the coming in the, I, I don't want to put a projection on how much real estate we're going to buy, but I think we're going to buy a lot. Well, Jack, you got to be accredited now. I know it's the next yeah. milestone. No, we'll yeah. save one deal though for Jack oh. and everyone else. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll keep that one with the friends and family. Yeah. We'll link to all the info down below in the description for creator properties. But beyond that, how much money are you making, Ryan? <laughs> I was, I was oh, I too. love that question. We should all take yeah. guesses. Okay. And we're talking net to you. So this is like your portion at the end of the day, after splits, but before taxes. And I'd also like to know when you say how much you're making, how much is from each different business? Because I know you have like several different businesses. Mm -hmm. Too much for him to count. Yeah. You probably yeah. got more no, businesses than fingers and toes. Yeah. yeah there's no way I could... Um... <laughs> Just break them all off. I'd have to look at P&Ls from every single business and, you know, with partners and stuff, I don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, jump on their toes. But, um, man, my projection um, this year has been that I think we can do around $40 million in gross profit. And that's not counting, like, all the deals we buy. Like, that's not really profit. That's just acquiring units and different things like that. I would guess on that revenue after all my partners and everything else, um, hopefully I could net around 15 million. That's no. What has it been the last 12 months? Because we have projections. What'd okay. you put on your taxes? Yeah, what's on your taxes, man? <laughs> How much is on there? Well, we're we're in the extension period. Of course, um, yeah. So yeah, we haven't filed taxes yet. But um, I would say last year, net-wise, you know, I think I probably made five to six mil. Now I'm not going to pay tax on five to six mil. Like mm -hmm. we have all these apartments we've bought, all these rentals, like mm -hmm. we're still working through all that. But And you just depreciate that and cost yeah. segregate and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now what's taking that from five to six to 15? Where, where is that? How does it double? Um, well, all the companies are growing, you know, pretty rapidly. Um, you know, education's growing. We're, we're flipping more and more houses. Um, e-commerce is going well and then if this whole nft thing and um tykes i mean that could blow it out of the water really so really just having like multiple ways to make money um that i wasn't making revenue in before right I've, I, I didn't make money you know with nfts and digital real mm -hmm. estate but i think that's like a huge i mean that's a trillion dollar like industry that is going to happen right like there's no doubt about it and so whoever creates the businesses around that first is going to capitalize. Like there's no Zillow for what we're talking about with these um, shares of mm -hmm. funds for NFTs. There's no one like doing that at high level. Um, whoever does is going to make a lot of money as well as a whole bunch of other services. But so I would say it's coming from all the existing businesses continuing to grow plus new streams of income like NFTs, creator properties, um, 
buying more apartments and that type of stuff. And what's interesting to me is that you have so many businesses under like the umbrella of like Ryan Pineda. Mm -hmm. How do you build such an effective team underneath you? And also last time we spoke, you said you only work, what was it like seven hours a day, six hours a day. Mm -hmm. How are you able to accomplish so much in such little time? You know, I think it just comes down to building an organization like the right way. Um, you know, I, I, I know I've watched a bunch of guys' podcasts. So like I've seen um, Hermosi speak and Ryan Serhant speak mm. and, you know, all these guys like it's true. The moment you start scaling and building out the organization to kind of function without you, like you don't necessarily have to do all this stuff, you know? So it's like I used to go on all the seller appointments myself and close deals. You know, I haven't done that in years. Right. Um, if I wanted to raise money, I used to be the one calling the investors trying to raise money. It's like, I don't do that anymore. Right. We have people who do that. Um, I used to go to the houses and manage the construction and the projects. I don't do that. You know, like even in the education space, um, you know, that was something Graham was, uh, we were talking about maybe months back when I first, Mm -hmm. um, we first met like that company, you know, I think last month we did like 600 grand, pretty much organic and, you know, like info, has really high margins. Like you don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's super high margins, but like even in, um, coaching, you know, it's like, how do I build this? So that's not me always having to coach. How can I empower other coaches and teach them what I know and like have them coach and hold people accountable and you know, all this stuff. So, um, I think all the businesses are built in that same way where it's like, I'll be there initially, like really building it out mm-hmm. the way it needs to be. You know, the same way, like when we did creator properties, I was with Graham, you know, every day, like, Hey, what do you think of this logo? What do you think of this name? Here's the website. What, how are we going to change the wording and all this stuff? Okay, great. Here's these first initial deals. Like here's the lawyers, like really laying the groundwork. But once we do that, we don't have to do that again. Mm -hmm. Like it's done at that point, you know, now the machine is built and now you just plug deals into it, you know, and it's just a process. We get a deal. We talk about it. We send it to investors. They invest, you know, then we manage and then you just keep doing it mm-hmm. over and over again. So whatever product or service we're selling, um, if you just build the process and you have really good people that can execute that process over and over again and adapt as markets and, you know, things change, it, it doesn't really require you too much. You know, like I, I said this from the beginning with content um, for me. I still have yet to edit a video. Like I don't edit, I don't Mm -hmm. post them anymore. I don't make my thumbnails or anything else. Could I do better if I like put all my my time and focus into doing that? Absolutely. Like we could do better, but for one, I don't want to do that. And two, um, by not doing it, it allows me to do all these other things. And when there are random fires in the different businesses, that you own, do you still find yourself having to step in and put them out sometimes? Or do you have people that are able to solve any issue that may come up? Because I've noticed with me, you know, I do have an editor and I do have an assistant, but when things, when they're struggling and they can't find a solution to something, I constantly have to find myself to still step in, review certain things. And I can't fully detach myself from the stuff that they're doing, which I feel like would ease my mind a lot it doesn't save that much time, but for me not having to think about these certain little things that happen on the day on a daily basis would really, I feel like spur my creativity. What's been, what's your experience been like with that? So this is also why I'm like 
a big advocate of delegating and building this out the right way because it does give you the ability to have like free time and actually be creative like you mm -hmm. just said so um you know right now my schedule for the last you know i don't even know year plus has been monday to thursday 10 to 5 at the office friday i golf weekends are with the family like it hasn't changed right you know, tomorrow I'm actually, I, I told you guys, it's like we had to film today because I'm taking the family to Malibu for the next five days. And I was in the Dominican last week. And it's just like the business is still churn along. Like we still got creator properties mm -hmm. up and going. We still flipped houses and did things. And so it's like you gain freedom by creating systems and hiring great people. And it costs you money to do that. You know, I've paid millions and millions of dollars in salaries, but it's well worth it to, to gain my time freedom. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, it's not about making the most money. It's really just about doing what I want to do every day and, you know, doing the things I love and then also building, at least as far as business goes, sustainable things that don't need me, you know? So if I were to die tomorrow, you know, I would hope that, you know, my tax company would still function without me, which it does. Like I don't do taxes. Like they're good without me. Um, I would hope that, you know, my education company, which, um, most people is it's tied to them and it still is like, I'm the face mm -hmm. for sure. But as far as like training people and like executing, it doesn't need me. Like it will run just fine without me. We might suffer on sales because, you know, I'm not now talking about it and, uh, whatever, but I have faith that the, the leadership in place would figure out a way to go generate leads without me, you know, have a different face promote one of our students who is, you know, a good marketer, a good leader and, mm -hmm. you know, one of our coaches, whoever. And you found all of these different businesses that you've built out to be 100% automated. You don't ever have to dip into them. And like I said, put out fires. Well, no, I don't want to say I don't ever have to dip into them. Um, what I do is like really from the sidelines, like I see myself more like a, I guess, general once it's established, once it's starting, like when I first start a business, I'm like, all in building that out. But once it's built out and the right people are in place, then I kind of become like a general where, you know, every week, you know, my sister, she sends me the report on every single company. Mm -hmm. She's like, here's how much revenue they did. You know, we have different KPIs that I'm tracking. Like, I want to know how many deals did we get this week, right? Um, how close are we to raising the money on this, you know, fund deal that we're doing? Um, you know, how many students signed up? How many, whatever. And so I get all these metrics every single week from her and then I'm able to look at them and say, okay, that's like on par, like we're close to hitting our quarterly goal. Um, okay. What's up with this? Why is this so far behind? And, um, you know, I'll get the story and then I'll be like, okay, well, what are we going to do to fix it? And, you know, from there she kind of executes that. And so the way we're structured now is like each individual company has its own COO and it has its own organizational chart, right? And so that CEO's job is to strictly run that specific company. And with that, they get a percentage of net profit, whether they're a pro whether they're a partner or not, because I want them equally incentivized. Like if we win as a whole, I want them to win. Like I don't want them just to be on salary. Like doesn't mm. matter what the company does. So I always have a net profit split um, with all my COOs. But from there, what I started to realize as we grew was that <sighs> these companies weren't communicating good enough together because if we learned something that worked well um, for sales or marketing in one company, they weren't communicating it to the other company, right? Because they're kind of just worried about their own thing. Um, and I started to think like, man, dude, you know, 
every time we need a website made or an ad or like hiring a new salesperson or some tech, like each one has to individually go figure this out. And I was like, dude, it's time to like create this parent company or this shared resource company. And you just like, it wasn't any new revolutionary idea I had. It was just something that I've seen from big companies, right? Like, you know, Google has Alphabet and Alphabet feeds YouTube. It feeds every other company that they have. And um, it's kind of like this shared resource where YouTube can communicate with Google Drive and all their other things. So at this parent company level or shared resource level, you know, we hired all of the people that um, all the companies need, but don't really need like on a full-time individual basis. So um, we got legal, finance, um, sales trainer, our media buyer, our graphic designer for the websites, our um, tech development team for any softwares or, you know, CRM stuff, whatever we need. Um, and then just like operations for that company. And so like on that shared resource company, you know, I pay over a hundred grand a month in salaries because it's just so strong. And so like when we wanted to go create um, all the stuff for creator properties, I told Graham this, I go, all right, you know, we'll get it set up and, you know, it's going to be way cheaper than if we were to go hire out all these people initially, because we already have it all in place. And so immediately logo was made, website was made, copy was written fast. Like everything was so quick because the parent company already has all those people. But they're all, that's not a salaried employee. That's like more contract work. No, they're all salaried employees full time. Wow. Yeah. Because think about it. All my companies need this stuff on a daily basis. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. So instead of hiring someone um, or hiring an outside company, Ryan's just like, like uh, he just basically creates his own company to do it. Yeah, because so he needs someone to clean the toilet. He's like, oh, I'm going uh, to make a toilet cleaning company. We yeah. need that. Well, like I was telling yeah. Graham, you know. Car wash company. We're going to need an investor relation person um, for creator because there's going to be so many people that want to invest, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to have to talk to all these leads. And so instead of being like, Graham, do you know anybody who, who wants to work for us as investor relations? Um, first thing we do is, oh, I forgot to mention, we have HR at the mm. parent company level. So HR has a process for posting a job. You know, like if you guys watch my Instagram stories, you'll see whenever we All post jobs, yeah. constantly hiring. I don't post that, right? There's a process for a job posting and then there's the interview and then there's everything else. And then what happens like for a sales position is, um, the final check would be interviewing with our sales manager in the parent company because he knows like what we need. And the beauty is maybe that salesperson doesn't fit good for creator. You know, they're not savvy enough for funds or whatever else, but they might be a good salesperson for, you know, home run offer or future flipper or whatever. Right. And so he has all of these candidates of salespeople and we're able to place them if we really like them for something else. And so, you know, it, it just kind of merges this whole ecosystem together but then it also allows us to really, um, you know, do cross sales and other things because people don't realize like, oh, well, if you invest with us, you need tax, you know, do you want to talk to one of our accountants and see if we're a good fit for you? It, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. And it's like, yeah, sure. And then, you know, it could be revenue if they end up signing up with us. So that parent company will end up paying for itself like easily just from, mm-hmm just being better. So you see a lot of crossover from your clients but amongst businesses? 100%. I, I would say most people um, who are a client are a client in multiple companies. 
Interesting. Yeah, I saw you were looking for a personal assistant, right? Yeah. Posted that on Instagram. So how does this work? So if someone applies, they go through your HR. What if someone comes to you and is like, Ryan, I'm going to be the perfect person. Everything goes through HR? Yeah. I don't have time to interview people, dude. Like, What if it's someone you know? I mean, if I know. If a buddy comes to you and is like, hey, you know, I want to, I'll be your assistant. Well, if I already know them, I'll I'll be like, yeah or no. You know, like I, I know whether I want them or not. Um. So, yeah, I mean, no, everything goes through HR and she goes through a rigorous process of, you know, having them send their resume. They got to do personality test. Um, How do you do that? Do you have them do like a like a quiz online? Yeah. Are you serious? Like a Myers-Briggs? Yeah. But um, it's called Predictive Index. Um, I think it cost us like eight grand a year. So like once again, parent company expense. So like when you think about these other expenses too, you know, the tech, the CRM, we've created to be the same across all companies now. So like if somebody gets taxed from us, everyone can see like, oh, this is a tax client. And then, you know, you have them fill out a survey saying like, what else are you interested in out of all these things we offer? And so then there's other offers that we can make them. But, um, you know, with uh, the personality test and all these other softwares and things we have to buy to run the parent company, most companies can't buy it by themselves as a single company. It just doesn't make sense financially. But when it's spread across all these companies, it makes a lot of sense, mm. you know. So, like the personality test, we we do that. We you know obviously read the resume. If if everything looks good on the personality and the resume, you know she'll hop on a virtual interview, whatever. If that goes good, you know in person, and um, she'll meet either you know typically that that person will meet the COO of the company that they're hiring for to see if there's a good fit. That way, the COO is not wasting their time. Like if think you think about this, other companies who have COOs. Like they're hiring people themselves. They're creating the job posting. They are um, interviewing all these people. And that takes away from them actually running the company and doing things that make money. And so when you think about our competitive advantage, it's like, dude, our COOs don't have to worry about any of this crap, like running ads, training salespeople, hiring. All they have to focus on is just the day-to-day operations of what they have in front of them. You know, how do we get Mm -hmm. more deals? How do we get these houses fixed up? And how do we get these apartments stabilized? Like they're super focused on just like the product and service itself instead of all the organizational stuff that most companies lack. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Thank you. You've built out an amazing structure for a business. Yeah. yeah, I think you're Jack's idol at this point. He's yeah. like, all, all yeah. the assistants, all the people. <laughs> How many assistants can I have? <laughs> Jack's like, you're Gosh. going to Malibu for five days? That sounds lovely. That sounds very lovely. Um, I really only have one other question. I know that you're building one of the nicest homes Las Vegas has ever seen. And the finances on that house are ridiculous. Can you walk us through the process of building that home and some of the, some of the numbers on it? <laughs> So, um, you know, I bought this, you know, what I'm calling a mountain. It was two acres, um, you know, in uh, McDonald Highlands, which is, you know, one of the top areas here in Vegas. I think uh, last year they had the highest sales, like $25 million um, for a house that sold in there. And the year before, we actually sold the most expensive house in there for $11 million. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I found this lot that was just such a great deal. I bought it for six hundred twenty grand <laughs> for two no. acres. No. Yeah, it's an entire thing. Um, I don't know what it's worth today. I mean, if I had to ballpark, it could be anywhere from five to ten million. Um, just because, you know, lots in McDonald Highlands right now with strip views are selling at like four million dollars an acre. 
So, yeah, whatever. I'm not looking to sell it. But, uh, you know, I, I bought... you a million dollars right now. A million? Right now. No, I'm, I'm all right. You'd almost double your money. I know. <laughs> I know. Almost. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> we'll roll it into the yeah, fund. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I bought this land, and I immediately hired an architect and um, got to work. And so, you know, we spent about, man, at least like seven, eight months doing this plan and all of a sudden, like my architect um, starts to have family problems. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. And um, he wasn't able to complete them. And so, you know, we had to let him go and um, find a new architect, right? But the problem is on something like that, a new architect doesn't want to take the old plans. Like they want to do their own deal. And so we pretty much had the whole decision of like, well, we just pretty much wasted a year where we have to start over. And so... Yeah, I ended up, um, it's, it actually worked great because the, the new guy um, is amazing. He's actually one of my students. He does developments in Beverly Hills and stuff, like sick mm -hmm. homes. Um, I did a YouTube video with him too. Like he's doing a $100 million development in LA right now mm. or Beverly Hills. And um, he was like, first time I ever met him, he just joined the mastermind. He was like, hey, you know, I saw your house. Um, you know, I'll do it for free. And I was like, dude, that's such a nice offer, but I don't know you. Like, mm. you're 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 my student, right? Like, you're not doing that much. I didn't know anything about him, and we already had our architect. Well, you know, as I got to know this guy more, his name's Amr. He, uh, you know, I start learning what he's doing. I'm like, holy crap! Like, the houses you're building are insane. And um, you asked about development earlier. A lot of our students have actually partnered with him on development. Mm. You know, across the country, like he's building sick houses. So, you know, long story short, um. I go back to him and I'm like, Hey, like, let's do this. He, he's done, you know, we'll build this. And so we hired him, um, I don't know, late last year, January or something. And so, um, he's already finished his renderings of this new house, which we haven't revealed. And, um, we had to, <laughs> we had to tame it down because it was so big and crazy. I was like, Amr, how big is this? Like, what, what are we talking about here? And, He's like, it's, you know, looking at it from the basketball court in the house, it's 30,000 square feet. Oh, come on. And no. This guy, this guy is like building his dream house online. It's just like, well, we need a room. Come on, man. Yeah. So, no. uh, well, did you not give him any, like, man, yeah, tell him, like, like don't not give anything 30, over 15,000 square feet? No, no, no. So, um, yeah, obviously we give him the, uh, you know, like, hey, you know, we're thinking like 12,000 square feet for this type of home is pretty yes. much like right you know and i also wanted like a basketball court and a gym and stuff too outside of the house and so um you know he he built his thing so really like his was like twenty thousand house ten thousand like auxiliary, recreational right and stuff and um yeah i'm like dude this is just like i don't even need this this is like crazy and you know he's basically like well you know in the end you can always downsize but you can't upsize like once it's done so like my job is to show you like the full potential of what it could be. And then, you know, you take out what you don't want, right? And what's not necessary. And so, yeah, we're getting those revisions back now where it's like, yeah, you know, this is tight. This is super sick. Don't get me wrong. But we just don't need it. Sounds that. like you're using uh, the same guy who built Nile, Niami's house. Yeah. Who's that? I don't even oh, know. Oh, the guy That's who the built one. the one. Oh, the one. 100,000 yeah. square feet. <laughs> <laughs> Your guy's like, yep, no, more square footage. You could always. 
Build more. Or you can't. Yeah. You can't build more, or you can't build. I'm losing it. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. So, anyways, I don't. You can always downsize. That's yeah. it. You could always downsize. Right. So, yeah, I don't know um, what it's gonna be. I mean, dude. I mean, when I started this back in the end of 2020, you know, labor, material, everything was so much cheaper than it is today, and so like the cost of building has just skyrocketed in the last year and a half since buying the land. So. I don't know what it's going to end up being. Um, I mean, if I had to guess, it could be a, you know, seven to $10 million home, just depending on what it mm -hmm. is like cost wise, which is crazy considering the land itself, you know, would be a five to $10 million piece of land on its own. Mm -hmm. And then you would build the house. So if we were all into the house for say, you know, just even call it $10 million, like that house is worth 25, $30 million. Cause it's better than, the house is sold for 25, like way better. And, um, you know, so I don't know. I, who knows? I might flip it by then. I don't know. Would you, okay. So if you built this incredible home, would that be your forever home? Or do you think you'd move on to something else? I'll wholesale it. <laughs> you could do a fund. It's <laughs> funded out. I'm going to NFT the home and, you know, Turn we're going to find Airbnb. it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, dude, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm so like always open to anything and everything that I don't ever like this is it. My life's done at this yeah. point. Like, I don't know, dude. Um, I was telling you about the, the modular home that I bought recently. Right. Mm -hmm. That is where I'm going to go live now. Cause I, it, I wasn't looking, I was going to build this house, but then this flip just came up and I'm like, Oh, this house is sick. Like it's 6,000 square feet. It's, you know, on a half an acre. It's in a super nice community. You know, I'm a golf member at this community. And so I'm like, dude, this would be great. I freaking golf cart to the course like it's going to be epic and so i just bought the house and i'm like i'm just going to keep it instead of flipping it and um the house is way over budget now because i'm keeping it but uh i don't know like i'm kind of also at the point now where that house is so nice and like it's totally fine like i don't need mm. anything more than that you know but i also own this prime <laughs> piece of real estate that's like already being developed and so there there could be a chance that i just go flip this thing and like build it out or even like another exit strategy is sell it with these plans to somebody and like, look, you know, you got these legit plans, you've got this house and you know, 10 mil for everything and you go build it yourself and you know, whatever you want to do. So I don't know, but, uh, I'm not too worried about that anymore as far as like getting it done and moving in. Cause mm -hmm. I'm moving into this and I'm like really excited about this. Final question. What is your net worth? And you can't like count the, estimation of value of your businesses i don't even know dude um if i had to guess it's probably close to 20 mil as far as like real estate and um you know cash and just like those types of things but i mean honestly the real value is in my businesses mm -hmm. you know like i i wouldn't sell my businesses for 20 million mm -hmm. you know like they, they make way more cash than that and i know how hard it was to build up those businesses to where they are today and they're only going to keep getting bigger and better, you know? So like, um, that was something actually I, I listening to Hormozy talk about a lot was really, um, interesting. It's like, man, I mean, it's true. The wealthiest people get wealthy from owning businesses. It's not from like buying real estate, buying real estate's great for like normal everyday people, but you know, the true wealth is made in owning these businesses. And then, you know, seeing like what these rich guys do, they just borrow against their business value and they never pay tax and they just mm -hmm. yeah. buy stuff that way. And it's just like, yeah, that's 
the way to go. Like, but it's also by a, not buying Starbucks and avocado toast. That helps. That's, that's true. That's Let's not forget. It starts <laughs> yeah. there, yeah. and then it builds eventually to $20 million over exactly. time in the long run. In the long run. No, and look, I mean, that stuff will work. Like, anyone can become a millionaire today just being frugal and mm-hmm. buying real estate. Like, you'll get there. Um, but, like, the businesses are what my focus is on. Like, I would rather go dump a million dollars into my business and mm-hmm. like it's technically not in my net worth anymore because it's now you know stuff that we've done for the business maybe we're building out software technology like we've spent a lot of money developing software and it's like yeah obviously that doesn't it's not on my net worth sheet the software we spent all this money on mm-hmm. but it's making the business more valuable and in the years to come it's going to allow us to you know make a lot more money so i don't even care honestly like what my net worth is like I've, I've, I have more money than I ever thought I would. And, um, I'm really passionate just about building businesses and helping people grow businesses and partnering up with people like Graham and like, you know, just new opportunities and like, it's fun mm-hmm. doing this stuff. So I enjoy that. Well, perfect. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We'll link to uh, all the information down below in the description and creator properties is probably going to fill up fast. So you better act now before it's before it fills up. So anyway, uh, oh, oh, also make sure to hit the like button. Subscribe. Subscribe. Mentorship group link down below. Get your free stock on public. Public. Hey guys, go ahead and follow me on Alex Add me on Instagram at Instagram, go ahead. Thank you, Ryan, so much for coming on. It's great seeing you as per usual. And until next time. Until next time. Thanks for having me, guys. You got it. Cool. That was awesome. I really.